to Amanda, my beautiful daughter. get the chance to fix all the things that get broken in life. 
There's a whole world of I'm sorry's that may never get spoken. And this message today is brought to you by Kleenex. <laughs> Those of you who are with us a year ago, I actually played that video. And um, it, uh, first of all, it's ministered to me a lot because I've watched it a lot. But um, it's, you know, we're in a series right now that um, kind of unpacks the, the core essence of who we are. And, uh, and, that, and that video really, really says it all for where we're going today. Um, we, we started last week talking a little bit about our three kind of pillars. And um, one of them is loving Jesus. We are a, a, a family that loves Jesus. There's a, a bit of a hum. I'm not sure why, but maybe these mics are still on. No. That's okay. It's on my mic. My mic's too close. Okay. Anyway, um, loving Jesus, serving one another, and adopting our city. And these are the, uh, these are the three things that we're about. And today, we're going to tackle loving Jesus, a community that loves Jesus. And uh, the title of my message is Making Room to Love Jesus. And uh, I want to start by reading a scripture, and then I want to kind of dive into the story a little bit. But the scripture is out of Colossians, and it says this in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 14, Jesus canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all. Everything we once were has been placed onto the cross and nailed permanently. And there has, and there as a, a public display of cancellation. Verse 15, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. Come on, somebody. To accuse us. That day when Jesus told this story of the prodigal son, it's probably the most known story in all of the New Testament. It's a story. 
it, it wasn't an actual thing that happened. It was Jesus saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And that story has been told a thousand different ways um, by, by preachers and by people. But that day, Jesus was surrounded by sinners, by the notorious tax collectors and everybody that the religious people would cast out and not want anywhere near them. Jesus was surrounded by them and it says they were leaning in. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful story. It's really one of the things that our church is about. And I don't have a slide for it, but I just want to read to you really quickly. This is the context for this story. And it says, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him because of what he said was super attractive to people who were not religious, people that did not have it all together. In fact, they were the people that knew very well. We have no business here. We do not belong here. They were leaning in. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. See, um, I love this because this truly is what our church is about, reaching lost prodigals. (laughs) And I think that uh, many of us have really identified with that because we recognize that we were there um, and, and at some level still are, that, that we are all lost and we need Jesus. And there's so many people out there that, that would love to hear the message that we have and would celebrate the community that we have, but they're so scared because they think that what's going to take place when they encounter a community of faith is judgment. It's the spirit of these Pharisees when all of those people that needed Jesus the most were leaning in and they were like, no, that's not how it's supposed to go. And I say that to say it's so critical. I wrote this down. It's so critical that we take notice of this because if we don't, then we will say we love sinners, but there will be no room for, uh, for them at our table. And so, and so it's with that that Jesus tells this story. It literally says, because of that, because of the religious people's response to the sinners leaning in, Jesus says, I got a story for you. And he goes on and he tells three stories. The, the lost sheep, leaves the 99, goes after the one. The lost coin leaves nine coins and turns the house upside down to find the one. And lastly, the prodigal son story. And he starts out and he says, a certain man had two sons, two sons. See, what I want you to hear today isn't so much unpacking the prodigal son story, but that the story is as much about the two sons as it is about the loving father. The man had two sons. We hear a lot about the first son. He went wayward. He found himself at the end of himself. And he said, I know I can go back to my father and I can give him a speech. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired hands because that's better than what I have. And he heads back to the the house. And we know the story. He's embraced by the father. And it says something interesting about the other son. See, the father said, I'm going to throw a party for my son who's come home. And the second son, he's out in the field because he's working. See, this second son, he was faithful. 
He didn't leave with the prodigal, although he had everything that the prodigal had coming to him in terms of an inheritance. But instead of taking that inheritance, he said, no, I'm going to be the faithful one. I'm going to earn my way into sonship. And he stayed out in the field. And every day his brother was gone, he became more resentful and more secure in his own place to say, no, I'm living the right life. And that day there was a party and the Bible talks about it. And, it said, and the Bible says during the party, the son who was out in the field working heard the sound of the party. And a servant came out and he said, hey, your brother's come home. You should come join the party. And the brother said, no way, no way. And I just thought last week we talked a little bit about the idea of loving Jesus is not so much that we love him, but that he loved us first. And we talked about Mary and Martha. And I just thought, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about siblings. Mary and Martha were, were sisters and Martha was the older sister and Mary was the one that was seated. And she found a place of grace at the foot of Jesus. Today is not a day of work. Today it is a day of receiving, but Martha wasn't having it. And Martha was, was literally telling Jesus as if Mary wasn't there, talking to Jesus about Mary. Jesus, why would you let her sit here? Tell her what she should do. And so the big brother's out in the field and he's like, Father, this should not be the case. He doesn't deserve a party. Sibling rivalries. See, Martha says, do you see how much work is let, left to be done? Have you ever thought that? Let's be honest. The, the sibling voice, the big brother, the big sister voice is a voice that we have in our head. Do you see how much work there is to be done? If you loved Jesus, you would see that. Get up, Mary. Get to work. The prodigal brother. Seriously? You think you deserve a party? You think you can be a son again? Faithfulness is what makes a good son. The father may accept you, but he's disappointed in you. We all are. Anybody ever have that message in your mind? Of course you have. This is the message of the religious. And, and I think that in, in, in part, it's, it's a mentality that says, don't get comfortable in the honeymoon stage of Christianity. Because see, the honeymoon stage, stage says, listen, love forgiveness, acceptance, grace, like that's, that's entry level, right? That's, that gets you in the door. And that's so good to start. But, but that's the honeymoon stage. I wrote this down. Eventually, you'll need to pull your weight, work out your salvation, stop drinking milk and start getting into the real food of faithfulness commitment, and righteousness. 
So listen, you bask for a little bit because I know you've been wayward and I know that it was really hard on the pig pen. And so come on in. There's a party. We love you. Blah, blah, blah. God accepts you. All right, come on. You've been coming to church now for a couple months. You've been in a small group, right? It's time to like start. Let's start getting into the real stuff because that's fluff. You can't live on that right? That's like, that's like all the candy and the sweets. And like, that's really, really good. It's like going over to your grandparents' house as a child. Like they just give you sweets, but you go back home and it's like, all right, that's not what we live on. Let me give you the good stuff, the sustainable stuff and what it really means to be a Christian. Anybody with me? And you know what? I can totally justify that message. I could take scriptures, you could take scriptures, we all have, and go, you know what? There is a lot of merit to commitment, to living a pure life, to living righteously, and all of those things are good, they're true, there's a lot of behavior that we really should adopt that's just going to help us in life, right? The wages of sin is death, whatever a man sows, he will reap, like all of that stuff can account to or measure up to this big thing that says, you know what, the older brother kind of has a point. Throw the party, do the thing, and then you know what, son, you got to work yourself back into that place. See, the the biggest danger in this whole story, in this prodigal son, isn't that the son's going to stay partying. He's not going to stay in the pig pen. I mean, just logic will say the money's going to run out. At some point, your luck's going to run out. And at some point, you're going to need some help and you may come back in the door. The issue is not whether or not you're going to stay out there. The issue is when you come in here, are you going to be a son or a servant? So he rehearsed his line over and over again. I am not worthy to be a son. So let me be a servant. Would you accept me back? And if I'm a servant, I can work my best And I can give my all. And maybe eventually you'll call me a good servant because I'm never worthy to be a son. And so with this mentality, I can imagine, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's it's not a real story. It's fictional, but let's imagine it was. The big brother attitude, months down the road, that son who had the party, I bet you he started getting that speech back out and going, this, this all can't be real. Like, my father says he loves me. But you and I both know that I took his inheritance and squandered it. I lived such a horrible, disgraceful life for my whole family. And look at my brother. Look how good he's been. You know what? I'm going to go back to this speech, and I'm going to start rehearsing it to myself. And I may never tell my father, but I'm certainly rehearsing it to myself. I'm not worthy. And so I will even show up to the party that's thrown for me, but inside, I'm a servant. And so thank you very much for the cake, and thank you for the greeting cards, and thank you for all the people, and this is great, but inside I'm going, don't worry, guys, I'm, I'm going to make it up to you. I'm going to work really, really hard for the rest of my life, and I'm going to be a great servant. Today, I want to unpack for you a little bit more of, of a, a biblical foundation for what I live and breathe as a church. And that's what we're called to lost prodigals. And the reason why I believe that that message is so contrary to the heart of the Father. So bear with me because we're going to do a little deep dive. 
And Lamont said, yeah, what's up? (laughs) There's another set of brothers I want to tell you about. Because I told you the sibling thing is cool. Mary and Martha, we told you about that. Martha trying to convince Mary that it's it's not a time to be seated. It's not a time to say the work is finished. And the big brother said the same. I'm not even going to attend the party because there's no time to party. There's work to be done. And there's another set of brothers that we see in the Bible. And we're going to start with Paul because Paul explains in Galatians about these two brothers. And they represent so much about our faith. And if you read it in the Old Testament, you might miss some of the relevance today. And so that's why Paul brought it up in Galatians chapter 4. And Galatians is a book that one day we're going to study because it's all about freedom in Christ. And really, it's a whole book talking about what we're talking about today. But Galatians chapter 4, it starts out in uh, verse 21. It says, tell me, do you want to go back to living strictly by the law? Do you want to go back to a Martha way of living, an older brother way of living? Because because our flesh says that is the right way to live. You do things correctly. Do you want to go back to that? Have you forgotten that Abraham had two sons? Sound familiar? I told you Jesus was telling a story. He was just telling a story. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac. So stay with me. Isaac and Ishmael are the two brothers. Ishmael's the older brother and Isaac's the younger brother. Now the story goes like this. Abraham was promised a son and Genesis chapter 12 all the way through Genesis chapter 17 there's this epic story unfolding and and, 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 and Abraham and Sarah God we're asking for a son and God's saying I'm going to give you a son and your son's going to literally be the the, the heir to the whole world and they get old and they get impatient like we do and they go you know what it's okay God I get it you're busy This is a big ask. We're super old. And so we're going to make this happen on our own. And Abraham sleeps with the maiden wife with permission from his wife, which was a huge mistake. And and the byproduct is Ishmael. Now, Ishmael in the Bible, again, this is like, this is a term that's coined. And it represents what you can do on your own. What you can do on your own. You can get you a son. And God was trying to make a point with Abraham to say, listen, you are called the father of many nations for a reason. Because it needs to be a spirit-led thing and not something you can do. You and I can get a lot of stuff done. You and I can do a lot of religious things. We can do a lot of good things. And that represents Ishmael. And so God said, man, that's a bummer, but it's all right. We're going to get you another son. And when they were over 100 years old, they finally had another son. His name was Isaac. And here we are. And Paul says, listen, are you really going to go back to a, a way of life where it's all about what you can do? 
And are you going to let people put that on you? This law works based religion. And he said, don't forget, Abraham had two sons. Not only that, Ishmael persecuted Isaac. A lot like Martha persecuted Mary and the older brother persecuted the prodigal. To say, listen, it's no time to sit. We got to live this thing out. We got to work this thing out. And so here we are. And the story picks up. One day, Isaac, the Bible says, was being weaned from milk. Now, it sounds a little strange because we don't throw parties for uh, kids that finally move past milk and into solid foods. Although all the mothers in the room are probably like, holler, right? Um, But in that day, you celebrated. And so in Genesis chapter 21, this is what Paul was talking about when he said, remember when Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. Don't forget the whole point of what Paul is trying to say. And he's pointing to Genesis chapter 21. He says, when Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate. I love Jesus. And he's telling this story to these Pharisees and these people that are so frustrated that the sinners are leaning in and they love Jesus. They're hanging on his every word. They're like, what Jesus, right? He's like, Jesus has a way of communicating that's so life-giving. And Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees, to the, to the religious people. And he says, let me tell you about two sons. And let me tell you about when a son came home and the father threw a party. So here we are. And Paul's putting it all together. And he's going, let me tell you about about that day when Abraham, the real Abraham, the real story that really happened. Abraham's throwing a party for his two-year-old son who was just weaned from milk. And Isaac is laughing at him. The Bible says he was persecuting his two. Who does that, right? Isaac at this point is like maybe 14 years old and he is literally laughing and persecuting his two-year-old like, ah, this is so stupid. Huh? Ishmael. Ishmael is persecuting Isaac, sorry. Persecuting him. And so in that moment, Abraham casts him out. You're gone. Now, it sounds really brutal, but in the day, that was the right thing to do. Cast out Ishmael and his mom, the slave woman. Cast them out of the camp to live on their own. And it's a long, epic story, but we pick it up again, because again, Paul's explaining this whole thing. Galatians chapter four, verse 29 says this, just like Isaac, we are now the true children of promise. And just as the son of the slave harassed the son born of the spirit, so it is today. And what does the scripture tell us to do? Cast out the slave woman and her son. Next slide. It's now so obvious. We're not children of the slave woman. We are supernatural sons of the free woman, sons of grace. 
Paul's putting all of this together and he's saying, listen, it's not just about, yeah, let's celebrate the prodigals when they come home. It's about, listen, when they come home and when they come in the house, they're going to think in their mind, this is just a honeymoon stage. I get it. There's a deeper thing here. There's a deeper expectation here that I'm going to have to live up to in order to really be accepted, in order to really have love, in order to really be in right standing with God. I get it. I get it. You guys are going to love me because that's the right thing to do. And you'll let me dress however I want to dress. And you'll let me talk however I want to talk. But eventually I get it. There is an expectation to be met here to really have the acceptance and the love that you say comes from the father. And so thanks for the party and thanks for the cake and thanks for the love that's temporary and conditional. I get it. So just so you know, I plan to fall in line. I plan to do the things that are expected of me. And so we get into this relationship with God that starts out with love and goodness and grace because listen, it's the 21st century and as a church, we all preach love and goodness and acceptance, but we have to understand that eventually people realize there is an expectation and they plan to meet it. And they have slipped into a relationship with God that's more of a servant than a son. Expectation makes no room for authentic love and relationships. That's, that's free, by the way, because it'll help your marriage. It'll help my marriage. Expectation kills love because it's impossible to recognize true love when there's expectation, when there's a debt-debtor relationship. I owe you. And if I owe you and you expect that of me, then when I try to do it out of love, you don't even see it. I don't even see it because it was an expectation. And this is what we do in our relationship with God. My, my religious friends, they, which are none in this room. Honestly, I mean, just, just being frank with you, I'm okay with the fact that we have, we have birthed a church that religious people don't really love. And, and, and again, God bless them. We've had people come and go. Um, and and, 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 and there, there, are, there are people that just carry that religious thing in them um, that, that they, they really, there's a, there's a safety that expectation creates, right? Even in relationships, when there's this expectation, there's like a, you can control expectation. It's not as messy, right? It's more logical. The grace of God is so illogical. And so, and so we've created a little bit of a place where it's like, I mean, I've had people walk, I mean, you've been here. I had people walk up, get up and leave in the middle of a grace talk. Because some people just like, they just have a hard time with that. And I've had people say to me, like, Shane, I love the whole grace thing, but like, when are we going to go a little bit deeper? When, when are we going to get to the meat of the word? And they use scripture. And I'm going to read the scripture to you out of Hebrews chapter 5. And this is what it says. About this, we have so much to say. 
but it's hard to explain. Can I tell you what the book of Hebrews is all about? It's Paul writing to the Hebrews, who all they know is religion. And he's trying to explain Jesus. Hebrews is all about Paul explaining to the Hebrews about Jesus. It was about him the whole time. It's a shadow. It's a setup. The whole story from Genesis, it was all about Jesus. And he's saying, I have so much to say about Jesus. It's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing, you love your religion. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of God. Now here's where it gets interesting. You need milk, not solid food. Catch this. For every spiritual infant who lives on milk is not yet perceived by the is not yet pierced by the revelation of righteousness. So here's what the religious people say. Here's what they say. Grace, acceptance, love, goodness, it's milk. It's the honeymoon. Isn't it so sweet when you're so little and you're an infant and you don't know anything about God and like you hear and you come in and you hear about the cross and you hear about Jesus' goodness and you're like, we, you accept sinners. Like that's all milk is what they say. It's all the basics. When are we gonna move on to the good stuff of commitment and righteousness and holiness? This is the good stuff that we need to start teaching people. When are we going to start telling people about their part? That's what we tell people. We don't want to say it like that, but that's what it is. When are we going to tell people about their part? Because we know God's part. He's so good. And he did all this stuff. And he loved you before you loved him. And so, okay, I get that. I get that. So what, where's my part? Where, what's the bottom line? Where is the expectation? I wrote this down. It's not really free. That was just a pitch to get you in the door. Have you ever had a sales pitch and you're like, okay, I get it, I get it. There's all these free stuff. And it's like, what's, give me the, give me the bottom line. Give me the bottom line. I call this sermon making room to love Jesus because a relationship free of expectation creates a broad place for love. A relationship free of expectation creates a broad place for love. This is in any relationship. It's in our relationship with God and relationship with others. Free of expectation creates a broad place for love. I was once lost, far from God. And he found me, he saved me, he pulled me out of the muck and the mire. And now I get to stand with my feet on a rock and say, God, you are so good. And what I love about the picture of the two brothers, Isaac and Ishmael, is that Paul is saying, God is telling us what we get to do with that voice in our head. Cast it out. The voice of condemnation we get to cast out so we can live in a broad place with Jesus. This is the voice that we get to cast out. I wanted you to go back to that slide of, of Martha uh, and the prodigal brother. This is the voice of Martha. 
Do you not see how much work is left to be done? If you loved Jesus, you would see that. Get up and do something. The prodigal brother, seriously, you think you deserve a party. You think you can be a son again. Faithfulness is what makes a good son. The father might accept you, but he's disappointed in you. These are the voices in our head that go over and over and over again. And Paul's saying, listen, don't let that voice in your head take you back to a place where it's time to do work again. Cast the voice of condemnation out. Now listen, when you preach this message, people go, okay, so then, so then isn't that going to make people go do whatever they want? Isn't that going to create an environment where now you don't have good people? They're going to start acting bad. They're not going to practice the disciplines. Can I tell you what happens in your marriage and what happens in relationship when you have an expectation-free, broad place to love? Does it make you want to lean in like the sinners or does it make you want to go, what's this? What, what kind of a relationship is this? What are we doing here? We need like some clear expectations. No, it makes you want to go, whoa, that's good. Give me some of that. What's, what's that about? I, I want to draw closer to that. Hence, the, religi the religious people are like, no, we're used to clear boundaries. And the sinners are like, we don't, we don't have any boundaries. We don't really have a lot of guilt in our life because we've just been doing whatever we want, but the byproduct is that we're total train wrecks. And what you're offering is another life expectation-free. It's called love. And what Jesus came to give was a broad place to say, I've created a space for you to authentically love me. Not because it's an expectation, not because I've accepted you back and I've given you love and I gave you a party. And so now it's time for you to prove your love for me by doing this. And then you need to do this. And then you need to do this. And God's saying, no, my love for you comes and you don't have to do anything but love. And I promise you that when you accept that and begin to embrace that kind of love and offer that kind of love, the response is, God, I get to love you with my whole entire life. And listen, I've preached this so many times in different ways. And you're probably like, man, Shane, you preach this message a lot. I will preach this till I'm dead in the, uh, dead in the ground. I'm telling you what, this is what it's about. And when we meet people that are stuck, when we meet people that are stuck, and when we come to a place when we are stuck, it's the goodness of God that leads us out from being stuck. It's not religion. It's not expectation. It's the goodness of God. That's what it is. And the best way, when we get people that are addicted, right? And the people, man, when we run to men's stuff, and people are they're dealing with pornography, and they're dealing with addiction and this stuff. Listen, it's not about being more committed. Listen, you just need to stop that stuff, and you need to be better. And it's like, listen, yes, we need to stop doing the things that are destructive, 100%. But it's how you do it and how you get there. The best way 
to get set free is not working harder. It's falling in love with Jesus. I am free. I am pure. I walk in righteousness, not, not perfection, but I walk in a sense of godliness because I love Jesus. He set me free. And now I live in a broad place. And that is all the motivation I need. I've tasted and I've seen. You've tasted and you've seen. They need to taste and they need to see how good he is. And when that happens, the addictions go and the struggles go and the bondage goes. And so Paul's saying, have you forgotten what it means to live as a son of promise? Don't go back to being a slave. You cast the slave out. This is not a honeymoon stage. This is an invitation to love. That's what we're about. So when we invite people to church, we invite them to an atmosphere and a family that says, come on, this is a place that you get to love after you've been loved. We get to love. I love that scripture that we started with because it says that the list of requirements against me the list of requirements against you have been nailed to the cross. And Jesus has made a public display to all the principalities and all the powers and all the condemning voices that they have no right to you. You are a son of promise. And that's good news. Father God, we truly step into sonship today. And God, we have a picture of you, Jesus, on this earth, surrounded by the worst people who uniquely have an ear for love. And as they leaned in, as we are, they sensed an invitation to a broad place of love as you told a story about Tucson. And God, I pray that it would be forever cemented in our mind. The invitation that you invite us to, the invitation that you invite lost prodigals to. May this church always be a place where people find life in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.